Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. to you. I'm Jeff Meller along with Brian Hanley. Sunday always feels like football to me even even when we're in spring and I was all set to roll up my sleeves and break down a Bears draft, the NFL draft with you, Bry. But oh no, 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 no. The Chicago White Sox late last night had something to say about that. They just pulled their elbows out and said, no, you boys are going to be talking White Sox First thing in the morning, whether you like it or not, Bri. Uh, you know, even in this horrific start to the White Sox season, historically bad, by the way, mm. that one, I mean, you, you can't make the stuff up. You couldn't, if you're writing a script in Hollywood, they throw it back at you like, <laughs> yes. that, that would never happen. You know, that you know, we try to deal in some sort of reality. But you go from Lance Lynn actually looking like a guy worth $18 million a year to what the hell just happened there. And... I mean, good Lord, if you, did, you know, a few days ago, we at least have Rick Hahn acknowledge that, you know, he, he, he's the guy. Point the finger at him. I don't know. Thanks for that. A, you know, a buddy of mine who's diehard Sox fan, we all have him, right, mm-hmm. texted me a few days ago with a picture of uh, Jerry, Kenny, and Rick because it's always Jerry, Kenny, and Rick. It's, it's never one man. It's, it's we, you know, the collaboration, and it's he basically said, these bleepity bleeps have been ruining my life far too long, and I want them, I'll paraphrase, gone. Mm. Um, I mean, and then he asked me if this reminds me of Bill Wirtz and, and Pulley uh, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I texted, I said, no, Pulley actually had power. I don't believe Rakan does. Mm. So, um, I mean, that's where you're, yeah. you're drawing that, those kind of parallels. And, and look. You know, well, tip of the old chapeau to the uh, Rays because they're having a historically great start to the season. But you try to dissect that inning for me and dissect the month of April. But, hey, the good news is, Jeff, the opponents for the White Sox in May, winning percentage of about 400. So now it's the time to make your move. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, just for a refresher for folks who may have forgotten, last Sunday I came on and early in the show talked about how the White Sox, having at that point brought their record to 7-14 and 14 last Sunday morning, I had made the note about how they needed to win. They needed to win at a ridiculous rate at that point just to get to 85 wins. Now, a week removed and seven losses later, which is now 10 in a row for the White Sox, they now need to go 78-56 and 56 so even if that schedule is easing up for them, Bry, the White Sox need to play 22 games over 500 the rest of the way just to get to 85 wins. And I know this is we're starting to get to you know a comical aspect, the idea that this White Sox team, which is seven and 21, could potentially go on a run where they're 22 games over 500 for you know any period of time seems ridiculous at this. Well, point. Well, that's what Rick Hahn told us though. Mm. He told us the other day. That it's not, it's oh, oh, too early in the season, a panic, and there's plenty of season. I mean, the same stuff we heard last year, right? And those numbers that you laid out last week and just laid out again, that's the cold, hard reality. Those are the numbers. Those are, I mean, that's what the mountain you have to climb. And Rick Hahn, God bless him, I will give him credit for this because 
I always talk about the uh, sports executives in this town who, who hibernate and hide in their office, AK, Mark Eversley, and the, the former Ryan Pace. And, and when things are going bad, they leave their coach out there to say the same thing day in, day out. And by the way, Pedro has been saying the same thing day, out, day in, day out. So at least he was sitting in the dugout when the White Sox returned home Thursday to, to face the music. Mm-hmm. But I tweeted out after the loss Wednesday as you're heading home to face Tampa. You, you have to make change for change's sake. And, and I know Pedro's not going anywhere. And Rickon, even though he alluded that his job could be in trouble, could not is, not imminent. And I said, you have to do something. And the only things I could come up with, wave Lance Lynn, and by the way, we'll get to him, uh, fire Ethan Katz, fire the hitting coach, because the pitching's been awful for the most part. The hitting is historically awful. I mean, they, you can't generate anything. And I know that, you know they got a, a new uh, new batting coach. But I know since the, the real movers and shakers aren't going anywhere, Rick's not going anywhere apparently, because why do you know, nothing changes? You have to change. You have to do something. And here we sit on Sunday, and you haven't changed anything, and the losing continues. And for those folks, you know, I'm sure that there's lots of people listening who may not know the intricacies of exactly what we're, we're talking about. Lance Lynn took a no-hitter into the seventh inning yesterday. The White Sox were winning 3 to nothing. It was exactly what this moribund franchise needed at that point they needed Lance Lynn the KG vet the stopper at times in his career to step up with a huge performance and he gave it to him last night however in the seventh inning that's when Lance Lynn look I get it they were you know especially the way the bullpen has been taxed as of late it it made sense to allow Lance Lynn to go out for the seventh inning especially with a no-hitter however at first sign of trouble, when you're on, at that point, what is a nine-game losing streak, my antenna would be up. I'd be watching for any moment where I need to get Lance Lynn out of the ball game. And I think when you give up a two-strike home run, that is probably a great signal to say, you know what? He gave us everything he had. We gave him an opportunity. But he just, we're going to be pushing it if we ask him to do more. Well, they did. And ultimately, the Tampa Bay Rays put up a 10 spot in the seventh inning. So what went from a 3-0 lead for the White Sox at home on a nine-game losing streak and the opportunity to put that to the end and try and move on has now only compounded itself because Pedro Grafal decided he was going to leave Lance in too long at that point. And then the bullpen again. They can't, they can't help him to save their life. No, no. But, can't. I mean, Bry, the White Sox gave up. 12 runs after six innings of no-hit ball. That has never been done no. in the history of the expansion era of baseball. That's the first time any team has ever put up 12 runs after being no-hit through six innings. It's mind-boggling what the White Sox are doing, how they're making a mockery of this baseball season. And we haven't even hit May! We haven't even hit May. And so that game was historically is one for the history books. The start is one for the history books. How, how far back are we going now? Uh, to, to This is, I think, the worst Sox losing streak. Ties the, the longest losing streak in, in team history, right? Ten games. There are so many bad things here. It, only the Cardinals, who, by the way, if I was Rick Hahn about the fifth or sixth inning before the, the roof caved in last night, I'd been on the phone to the Cardinals saying, hey, you want Lance Lynn? Because the Cardinals, you know. Yeah, they need pitching. 
They need help. And, and only they, according to fan graphs, the beginning of the season, going into the season, they had a 67 and change, almost 68% chance of making the playoffs, according to you know their algorithms, right? Yep. Currently, they sit at 17.2% to win the division. And only the White Sox have a worse uh, have had a worse decline in one month than the Cardinals. And they were, what, a 30% expectation to make the playoffs, even though Rick Hahn thought he had a playoff team going into the season. And now they're down to, what, 3%? 3%. That's not even milk. Seems generous, to be honest yeah, with you. That's, yeah, yeah, 3% is if you, you pick up some milk and you get 1% and 2%. It, it just, but yet, Rick Hahn tells us, there's, you know, no panic. Things will get better. We're going to get healthy. Things will turn around. You know, no, 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 no. I've got so much to you. We've got Rick Hahn sound to play. We've got Pedro Grafal after last night's loss explaining or at least attempting to explain what happened with Luis Robert, who we're now nine minutes into the show. And I haven't even mentioned yet because everything about the Sox is a debacle. Um, Luis Robert, after grounding out in the first inning to the pitcher on the third base side, grounds out, and Luis Robert, what would you call that, jog, a saunter down the first baseline. Um, clearly something that, if he had been hustling, would have at least made it a close play, if not had beaten it out. Well, because of that, he was allowed to go out there in the... And this is where, too, you have to wonder, why exactly... Is Luis Robert being sent back out into the field, right? This is a situation where Pedro Grafal would pinch hit for him when he came to the plate the next time around to send, I guess, a message for not hustling. But, Bri, why is he even allowed to go out back out into the field? That's my question. What message are you sending? Who needed to tell Pedro Grafal, hey, Luis Robert's jogging down the line? Why aren't you, if, if you're trying to you know, create a culture, set a tone, immediately he should be removed from the game. Amen. And, and to hear the explanation, Luis Roberts said, well, I, my legs are sore from Friday, but I didn't tell anybody. So I was just apparently still, remember the Tony La Russa do not run list? Oh, I recall. Yeah. I, and we all laughed at that last year because, you know, we were laughing to stop, you know, stop from crying. But when he, Tony La Russa actually said publicly, we told these guys, if it doesn't look like you can beat something out, then don't go 100% because you might hurt yourself. And so apparently uh, Luis is still operating under the uh, previous manager's do not run. Uh, and, and I'm with you. If you're going to make that move to send a message, and again, a message needs to be sent, whether mm-hmm. you demote a Michael Kopech or wave a Lance Lynn or trade Lance Lynn, you know, to get a bag of balls from the Cardinals or, or fire a coach, do something. Yes. But yeah. Wh- why don't you do that immediately when the fans are booing because they're fed up with this? And then who, yeah, who, who told them, Hey, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, let's get Luis over here. But he, I love that the player says, well, I'm not upset with the manager because I didn't tell him <laughs> inmates run in the asylum. The players are not upset with the manager making that move. It should be the other way around. I mean, what are we talking about here? I mean, and, and I was really disheartened by the Sox when they were swept by the Blue Jays. And in the final game, getaway day in Toronto, there it was apparent from every player on that roster 
who was hitting for the White Sox, that they were just ready to go home. They had absolutely yeah. quit. They struck out ten of the last ten of the last eleven hitters struck out. They struck out seventeen times in that game, Brian. There, it was clear at that moment to not just the White Sox fans, but it should have been clear to Pedro Grafal and everybody in the White Sox front office that there's an issue right now. And yeah, I know it's early. It sucks. It sucks for Sox fans. They're out there. They they can't believe a lot of folks yesterday were probably at guaranteed rate field saying we bought tickets to an early April game on hope- a promise. Yeah. Or on a promise. The things, uh, the things were going to be better. And, and I have was- to imagine, Brian, a lot of them, that was probably the first game for a lot of fans yesterday because sure. a lot of people aren't going to run out early in April, you know, because of the weather. But, you know, you get later into the year, schools winding down first, you know, Saturday or, you know, last Saturday in April. OK, that looks like a decent chance. The Rays have been good for the last few years. It was probably the first game for a lot of fans. And sure enough, how about this? On April 29th, we've got this 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 uh, chant breaking out. So 11 to 3, and then the batter is Siri. Sell the team. And if you can't hear it, here's it isolated. I mean, April 29th. Yeah, we didn't get those chants till August last year, if memory serves, right? It was maybe late July, August. I, I, I just, but Rick Hahn told us the other day that. Oh, he's frustrated. He feels the pain. He he's right here. He knows what's and yet in the next breath, we've got time. And the numbers, uh, the hard cold numbers that you just you know reeled off earlier in the show tell you you don't have time. Time is already up. You have a two point two percent chance to win the division. Okay? I mean one point one percent chance to be a wild card team. Only this division, yes. by the way. Yes. In the last ten games, do you understand? In the last ten games, the five teams in this division, one team is five and five in the last ten. Everyone else has a losing record in the last ten. So I don't want to hear about Tampa being terrific and Toronto on the road is always tough. If you had done anything in the last week, you might have been clawing yourself back into the conversation. And and the four other teams are, are trying to give you the opportunity. And yet, you're historically awful. And part of the reason, by the way, that Tampa's terrific is they're 6-0 and against the White Sox with one on tap later today. I'm Jeff Meller. He's Brian Hanley. Brian alluded to Luis Roberts' explanation as to why he wasn't running in the first inning. We'll let you hear from Luis Robert and through his interpreter. And we'll also let you hear from Pedro Grafal, who clearly had no idea why his I should I even call him star center fielder wasn't running. We'll let you hear that next here on ESPN 1000. The Sox have lost nine straight. It's the first nine game losing streak since 2017. They have not lost 10 a row since 2013. Obviously, the goal is to keep that ancient history. Robert in the leadoff spot. It's a soft bouncer and Fauche will lob over to first on a hop to get him. I don't know what happened with uh, Luis Robert because he stopped running. Not so ancient history anymore. Connor McKnight's on the call there on ESPN 1000. You're home for the White Sox. And then, of course, you heard on NBC Sports Chicago, Len Casper and Steve Stone with the call of Luis Roberts' failure to run. And you'd think... 
having lost nine in a row at that point, that, you know what, let's try and set the tone. Let's show the team that we're going to put this to an end. But, oh, no, no, no. Not Luis Roberts. He was not up for running yesterday. And he was eventually removed from the game. Not immediately, but eventually he was pinch hit for when his time in the order did come up again. But Oscar Colas was sent to pinch hit for him. But he was not removed immediately, like I think would be the better play if you're really trying to send a message. But nevertheless, he was allowed to go back out into the field and man center field for a bit. I'm Jeff Meller, along with Brian Hanley, hanging out with you till 11 11 o'clock. And I'm just I'm still at a loss for words, Brian, because I can't believe we are here breaking down the White Sox instead of the Bears draft, which was always my plan. And I have to tell you, before last night's White Sox game, with them having lost nine in a row at that point, I was like, okay, well, we'll definitely talk about the White Sox at some point, but they're definitely going to be on the back burner because Bears draft, that's what I want to talk about. But, oh, no, the White Sox found a way to trump the Bears draft, and it is in terrible, terrible fashion the way they did it. 7-21, and 21, they are now on a pace. There, It's actually two games worse than the 1962 Mets that lost 120 games. Now, you know, things should get better. They have to at some point. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the weaker schedule, the opponents, uh, the lesser schedule of opponents in May may help. But that's what you're dealing with here. You, you are now at 2.2% chance to win this division that, by the way, is begging everyone to stay involved. But, what, the Twins are a couple games over 500, three or four, and, and they're sitting there with an eight. <laughs> but a nine-game uh, yeah. lead on the Sox, eight games up in the wild card. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Yeah, the Sox are, are nine games back in a horrid division. Twins come to town tomorrow. We'll see if the White Sox will be on an 11-game losing streak at that point. But here is Pedro Grafal last night, asked specifically in the postgame, what happened with Luis Robert not running? You know, Luis um, is a really hard worker, plays hard. Um, he might have just had a mental lapse, and our expectations are, you know, we, we got to run hard down the line. Um, this is not a common occurrence with Luis. Um, as a matter of fact, I've talked to him about slowing down a little bit in, you know, in practices and making sure that, you know, you save some of it because he really, he really is a hard worker. But, um, you know, we, our expectations are, you're, you know, you run hard down the line, and that was it. And and uh, he might have just had a mental lapse on that. I'm not sure. Did he say anything to you? I I I just spoke to him and I told him that we gotta we gotta run hard down the line. That's it. All right. So at that point, there was no real explanation from Pedro Grafal, right? But I, I didn't hear an explanation in that. All no. I heard, and then when he said, I just spoke with them, you know, there was, again, no, no real explanation coming from Pedro Grafal as to why he wasn't running. Curious. Okay, so nobody likes to see multi-million dollar athletes failing to hustle, especially when the one thing you can do is play your hardest when you're just struggling to do whatever you can to keep your head above water. Well, this is Luis Robert through an interpreter. You'll hear the interpreter first, and then uh, a follow-up question from Scott Merkin along with Luis Robert's answer, and then the interpreter providing what he was saying in English. Here is Luis Robert on what happened. mistake was that I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell the manager before the game because I knew that if I say something to him, he probably uh, wouldn't let me play. But that was what happened. 
Did it grab on you a little bit? It looked like you grimaced on the TV broadcast when you were when you were running down the line. Te molestó un poquito, pero en la carrera, como meta carrera, se vio como que tú hiciste un gesto en la cara. Tenía, sabes, tenía desde que me levanté tenía el hand un poco apretado y ya mi mente hoy estaba tardando, sabes, tenía tardando de no forzarme con esa pierna lo más que lo menos que pudiera y sabes, tenía en mi mente que si pasaba cualquier situación de esa, no sé qué fuera ya una cosa ya tarde en el juego que tuviera que sabes, sacrificarme todo. Pero pienso que Merini tenía eso, eso en la mente, de no tratar de no forzarlo al 100% así. Since uh, I woke up this morning, uh, my hamstring was tight. Then before the game my mind was made up you know i i wouldn't wouldn't try to push too hard at least it was something you know a game ending or something uh because i you know i, I wasn't feeling like i, you know, I was 100 then I, i tried to play safe um and, and that, that's what happened uh, you know, unfortunately the first out bat of the game then that little ground ball then So there you go. He wasn't feeling 100% as told to the interpreter. and he, But he knew if he told Pedro Grafal that he would probably not be put into the lineup. I don't know what's worse at this point, Bri. The, the explanation, the fact that Luis Robert now is hiding, you know, the fact that he's banged up, especially considering he's somebody who can't seem to stay on the field. And so now he's, because he wants to stay in the lineup, he's not going to tell the you know, the coaching staff and the training staff that he's not feeling good. That doesn't make me feel any better. And then when you actually get out there, assuming that, you know, we'll take him at his word that he wasn't feeling up to snuff to run hard. He's also talking about, or I'm sorry, Pedro Grafal is also telling us that he has had conversations with Luis Robert about taking it easy in practice. I mean, lost in translation there. I don't know what's going on. I I guess you want to give him credit for, being selfless and saying, well, like you said, if I tell the manager, he'll take me out of the lineup. So I want to be out there for my guys. So I, 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 I understand the sentiment and, and give him some sort of credit for that, but it doesn't help. And, and in the translation, it's like, well, unless it was a game situation, then he's going to bust, right? If he's, <laughs> yeah. Okay, tell me when the game – you don't know when the game situation exactly. – I mean, I get it, it's the ninth inning, and you're rounding third and coming home and the play at the plate, bang, bang. We can all say – You don't know when you saw that ten run inning, right? Yep. If you if you bust and and you actually beat the throw to first, you might start an inning that yep. you didn't see coming. You, you, so I guess you get credit for for being a team guy, but in the slump you are cur- he's currently in along with Aloy. I, it, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't do anybody any good not to communicate what physical issues you have with the training staff. Let the manager know. So they can make, you know, do their job and make a, the proper decision and the proper call. But when you go out there to an announced crowd of 28,000 and lollygag the first, no matter, you know, whatever your thought process is, mm-hmm. frustrated fans see that and they're thinking, what the hell's going on? And, you know, I don't know if it's the fact that he's now been babied throughout his career. And yeah. because of, as you mentioned, Tony Larusa previously having the don't run hard list the the key players the four or five white Sox players that last year were asked not to bust it because they didn't want to injure themselves remember i do know now he i don't know if he t- 
I don't think he referenced it specifically in his introductory press conference, but you'll recall Pedro Grafal when he was unveiled to Sox fans. He talked about how at times in the Royals clubhouse, they knew the White Sox weren't always playing hard, right? Like he, he said he could look from the dugout, the mm-hmm. Kansas City dugout, and within you know the first inning or so, he could tell which White Sox team was showing up, a team that cared or a team that you know was not going to give 100% that day. And, I mean, that's damning in itself. And then in the, his next breath, he said there's going to be accountability. There's going to be a different mindset. We're going to bring it every day. And, by the way, for the first two, three weeks of the season, he kept – he was defiant almost in his mm-hmm. post game that we put in the work. We know. We know these things are going to turn around because we prepare. We put in – and there's been a different, different tone in Pedro's uh, comments because, obviously – Whatever work they're putting in hasn't it's it's shown up in a seven and twenty one record. So you can't be you can't have that swag and that kind of uh, you know a chip on your shoulder when you're answering questions about the, the latest loss when you've got ten ten of them you still haven't won a series. You haven't won two games in a row in one month in the books. And uh, yeah, at any point uh, I'd be more than happy to welcome in some accountability from this organization. Luis Robert did go on to say again um, as his interpreter. Uh, relayed the message, he went on to say that he did tell Aloy Jimenez and Gavin Sheets that he needed their help in the outfield yesterday because he was feeling it. And it just goes to show, though, okay, so he's hiding it. There, This is a fractured locker room. You know, usually on good baseball teams, you see everybody is, you know what, let's use Tim Anderson's phrase. Everybody's pulling on the same string, right? When yeah. it's a good clubhouse, when things are going well. When it's not going well, you've got star players whispering to his outfield mates that I need your help because I'm not 100% today, so pick me up if you can. They can't run for you out of the box, Luis. I mean, it is maddening that, again, the control the things you can control. Effort. It's a bad baseball team. Everything's going sideways. We're not in May, and I've got Luis Robert jogging down the line when he's not swinging at sliders out of the zone. And, and and here's the the ultimate question, you know, what is it that the White Sox do well? If it was just a bullpen that was you know blowing up every game, and you could say we got to fix that. Mm-hmm. If it was just one or two guys in the rotation, and say okay, we got to fix that. If it was simply well, as soon as Tim Anderson gets back, that that offense that lineup looks different. You can't blame Lori Garcia anymore. What is it that they do well defensively? They're, they're, I mean, Pedro Grafal brought it up that last game in Toronto, the lapses. They, they don't do anything well. The, um, the, the entire thing's a mess. Mm. I'd love to hear from Sox fans yeah. because, it, look, we're all frustrated. I'm, I, I, I can't even imagine. But if what would you do at this point? You can't. This, I, I'm reading stories from Ken Rosenthal, whatever, what the Sox should do with the trade deadline. That seems like 10 years from now. You have to do something today. You should have done something last week. I said Thursday. You have to do something. You have to get their attention. You have to do something dramatic. You have to let everyone in that clubhouse know this isn't nearly damn good enough. And frustration and empathy with the Sox fans. And boy, the, you know, we didn't see this coming, but don't worry. We're not, you know, we're not panicking. Well, you, it's time to panic. And you ought to do something. And as GM, Sox fans, help us out. What could you do? And Tim Anderson, you know, is down in a rehab assignment. And he's going to be back in the end of the week. That, that's not enough. 
That's not enough. One player cannot be that important. 312-332-3776. We've got a few Sox fans on the line who want to chime in. I promise we'll get your calls. And if you'd like to check in and lament with us what's going on with this White Sox team, again, feel free. 312-332-3776. I'm Jeff Miller. He's Brian Hanley here on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. With you. It's 11 o'clock today here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. You can join in 312-332-3776. Just can't believe we still haven't been able to tackle the Bears draft just yet because of the White Sox. I'm blaming them, Bry. It is absolutely their fault at 7-21, and 10 losses in a row. I believe 15 of their last 17. I mean... Almost by the fact that you're playing baseball, you find ways to to win more than two games over a 17 stretch. It's just it's almost a product of professional baseball that it's damn near it's, impossible. It, it, to all, all, near impossible to lose ten games, but you've only scored more than three runs in this ten game losing streak twice. Twice. <laughs> the only good news is Jeff, uh-huh. the pitch clock is really Dude. expedited at the pain. So you're you, you're getting in and out in two hours and fifty three minutes or so. On you average. are you are so right about that. Uh, Charlie Bevins, our producer, mentioned how even though there was a you know a an, an, uh, seventh inning that lasted more than a half an hour yesterday, because of the Rays putting up a ten spot, the game still came in right around three hours. So there you 253, go, two fifty three, I believe. Yeah. So uh, not too shabby if yeah, but uh, it has been painful, and I have to imagine most Sox fans at this point are not. You know, unless you're at the ballpark, you know, I don't think a whole lot of fans are devoting, you know, two hours and 53 minutes to this baseball team. That's how dreadful they've been. Let's try Bear fan Bob, always a loyal caller. Bob, what's going on, man? Good morning. So I thought about the White Sox, and it's pretty hard to top the call that was on Waddle and Silva the other day. That gentleman had it going on. <laughs> Birdo, so Birdo from the this- northwest side, yes. Yep. Yep, yep. I give this a lot of thought. And after this mess the other night, well, last night, the only way this is ever going to change is if the state of Illinois figures out how to redo the deal on the White Sox. Okay, I know they got a sweetheart deal, and when that changes, all of a sudden the White Sox got to pay money like everybody else does, and things change. Hmm. Otherwise, no. You know, you're still going to get Kenny... And Rick, because Rick and Kenny, they should be gone Monday morning after this. I, there's just no more excuses for this because Kenny and Rick have nothing but a bunch of DHs and first basemen yep, there. That's they what do. they have. They do. You're not winning nothing with that. You know, end of story. So, you know, I, I don't know what else to say after that guy, after the man in, in, up in the northwest side. Yeah, Bert, I'm just no, so no, you're frustrated. Yeah. Birdo. Jake Berger. We like, like in, in I, I uh, Bob, hang on, because I, I do want to. You're Bear fan, Bob, so we got to ask you what you think of the Bears draft. But um, I, I can't remember now, Brian, because they're all starting to run together. I don't know if it was last Sunday or the previous Sunday. I was talking about how, like, I want to give Jake Berger his flowers, but there's also the reality that 
he really shouldn't be a third baseman in baseball because yeah, he I think can't we're talking play. about that. Yeah, we're talking about that last no. Sunday. And when then he, he immediately turned around. And what did he do? He hit a couple of homers, and sure enough, he's making errors in the field. He'd be yeah. a great first baseman or DH, but sorry, Bob. Right? I said that, he looks. He looks like a guy yeah. on a 16 inch softball yeah. team that's going to win a championship in Chicago. I mean, that but DH and first base are spoken for. There's yeah. too many players on yeah. this team playing that spot, and again, not playing it particularly well. Um, and Bob, what do you think about the Bears draft? I, I'll say it like this because I know you guys don't have a lot of time. I haven't seen a draft like this since the early 80s. Does that say something to you? It's been a very long time. We have decided to uh, take one, fix the lines. When you start fixing the lines, then we're talking about championships. I didn't see a bunch of celebrities get taken yesterday. I didn't see any celebrities get taken. What I saw was football players. With that being said, I have great expectations for this. I know there's going to be a few bad players in there because that's what happens. You're not going to hit on 100%. That, that's, those are the rules. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like the offensive lineman a lot. I like that running back a lot. Yep. I like that uh, receiver. I think this receiver, uh, a friend Scott. of mine who used to work for this radio state, your radio station, texted me and said, this guy's a burner. And as I looked at it, he's absolutely right. So some good coaching with this one is going to be terrific. They took a lot of defensive tackles. Guess what? You need DTs, all kinds of them. Like I said, I just can't say enough good about it. Looks like we have a big boy GM for a change. <laughs> Guys, those are my thoughts. Have a wonderful day. And Thanks, Robert. Way, you can't win your division in April, but you can most certainly lose it. And guess what? They lost it. Great, have a great day, guys. Great Stay points, warm. Bobby. Appreciate it, as always. Um, yeah, so, all right, let's shift our attention a little bit to the Bears draft, some of the stuff he brought up there, Bry. Uh, initially, and you know what? Maybe I'll just recap it for those who may have, you know, some of the names he mentioned. He mentioned the running back from Texas. That would be Rashawn Johnson. Uh, some of the... Just the intangibles. I mean, we're talking about he was now he was a, a dual threat quarterback in high school who was recruited to Texas to play quarterback, but eventually they needed him to step in and play running back. And so he for went his redshirt freshman year, became, you know, a freshman player at running back and was a very productive player. And honestly, if Bijan Robinson isn't at Texas, there's a there's a strong possibility that Rashawn Johnson may have been used significantly more throughout his career, right? But, you know, that's the breaks of just, you know, big-time college football. So Rashawn Johnson, everybody who knows anything about him personally raves about what type of person he is, what type of leader he is, and just, you know, I believe Todd McShay, after the Bears drafted him yesterday, you know, he could not stop just absolutely giving him so many kudos for the type of person he is and how much the people at Texas just love him as a person and player. So I think that's great to hear that type of character. Um, you know, someone commending them for that was, you know, really encouraging. He's my new favorite player of this draft. And again, you better be right on your top picks. Um, and, and, you know, kind of a surprise. I, I will say Josh Schrock at NBC Sports Chicago mm-hmm. nailed it on Thursday morning, uh, his last pre-draft piece that he mm-hmm. wrote for them, saying the Bears are going to trade down and they're going to take – uh, the player they took. Darnell Wright. Yeah, and and, and we'll see. And, and I, I will say this about the ja- draft in general, uh, echoing what Bear Fan Bob said. You didn't get cute. You went to big-time programs and got big-time, mm-hmm. physically yes. big, impressive players. You know, Ryan Pace's pro- problems, and they were many, mm-hmm. um, he went 
to a basketball school to get a quarterback um, and, and Mitch Trubisky, right? Yep. And he was going to be the smartest guy in the room. And again, there might have been two or three other GMs that had uh, eyes on Trubisky as a first round pick, but he, no, he was the one who sold the farm to move up one pick and, and, and you know, drag the Bears franchise down for five years. Um, but Roshan, the intangibles, I love intangibles. I love leadership. I love guys who want to be the first in all the cliche stuff, first in the building, last to leave. But he's a player. Yeah. I mean, he can run through people. He can run routes. He can block. Uh, but for uh, the guy he was behind, he might have been the star, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. And the mindset, and, and you know, heard scouts, you heard Bear scouts say, when you went down to Texas, yeah, you went into the building, everyone was singing Roshan Johnson's praises, and it wasn't smokescreen because he wasn't going to be selected top 10. It's who he is and who they appreciate, and yet he's also a player. It's not just a guy who's a good leader and a, a good team guy. I, I'm so excited to see what he can do. So yeah, excited. No doubt about it. Uh, and going into yesterday, he was, if you looked through, you page through, if you're a, a draft head, you saw guys like Mel Kuyper, you saw like Daniel Jeremiah, best guys left on the board heading in to yesterday, the uh, day three of the draft. You know, R- Roshan Johnson was on virtually, you know, he was near the top on virtually everybody's list. You mentioned if it were not for Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson might be a household name. Bijan yep. Robinson talks about Roshan Johnson. Man, you know, Ro- Roshan is the best teammate, first of all, I've ever had. You know, obviously he's a running back, but, you know, I think that he bring- he brings out so much in a player and a, and a team. Um, you know, just how he goes about being a leader to, to not just his teammate, but everybody in, in the community. And I think that, you know, who he is as a as a person and what he does on the football field is, to me, I don't think it's overlooked because, you know, he, he shows his presence and he makes his presence felt. But man, Roshan is the guy. And, and I think that, you know, he's he's the other he's the other great running back, you know, in this class. And I don't think that people should overlook the talent that he has and, and the skill set that he brings because, you know, I think he's just as good as anybody. And I think just his toughness and his heart is what is what makes him stand out over everybody. Best teammate I have, Bijan Robinson, who of course was drafted eighth overall by the Atlanta Falcons. And I, I love, I love. They said he was the other great running back in this I know, draft. I know, <laughs> I caught that. I love that. Nothing wrong with that. No, no. no um, I gotta give myself props. Yeah. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. I think something became apparent from the type of players that Ryan Poles likes to select in this year's draft. I'll share with you what I think that is. And we'll react to the Bears passing on Jalen Carter. We'll do that next here on ESPN 1000. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Brian Hanley with you till 11 o'clock today here on ESPN 1000. We shall see if the White Sox can snap their 10-game losing streak. You can hear the game right here on your home for the Chicago White Sox. ESPN 1000, we're also your brand new home of the Chicago Bears. And we were locked in all weekend long on the Bears draft, which concluded with day three yesterday, if you missed it, you want the full rundown here. I think most folks listening, Bri, are probably well aware 
that the Bears started Thursday, the first round of the draft, by selecting Darnell Wright, 10th overall, the right tackle. I say right tackle, but he played left as well throughout his college career. The uh, elite tackle prospect from Tennessee. Now, the reason they selected him 10th was because they chose to trade the ninth overall pick to the Philadelphia Bulldogs, as they're now being called. <laughs> and that is because they only take players from Georgia, apparently, which ultimately may not be a bad move. But the Bears trade the ninth overall pick to the Eagles for a for the 10th overall and a fourth next year from the Eagles. And the Eagles then go ahead and select Jalen Carter, the Georgia defensive tackle product, a player who lots of folks called the best talent in this draft. What was your initial reaction when it played out the way it did on Thursday night, Bri? Um, well, we talked about it last Sunday, Jeff, and I think we were both in agreement that if Jalen Carter was there at nine, um, unless your due diligence, it really gave you some concern, major concern about taking uh, that, that player, mm-hmm. that prospect. I, I mean, a, a month ago, that was the dream scenario, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you get the number one pick from the Texans, you trade down with Carolina, and if Jalen Carter, who had been by many presumed to be the top talent, if not one, he was 1A in this draft, um, and then if he's there, you take him and you're laughing. And uh, my buddy Mark Potash wrote in Sun Times, so he crystallized it. Uh, my initial reaction was, uh-oh. I mean, now, I again, whatever interviews at Hallis Hall, and, uh, you know, the, the, the obviously the, the uh, legal issues that Jalen Carter has mm. and uh, that all plays into it. But they they had to be comfortable with Jalen Carter and apparently they were not. And yet the team you traded with uh, immediately takes Jalen Carter. Now, you know, the Eagles, the Bulldogs, they have that luxury, perhaps. And they maybe they have because they have a more veteran and a winning team. He's going to have to toe the line immediately, and and whereas if he came here, he might feel like he's got carte blanche to to be the guy before earning that status. But I thought I think Potsy Mark Potash wrote this. Whoop! For the next three or four or five years, we're going to be judging what Jalen Carter does in the league versus what Darnell Wright does in the league, even though they're apples and oranges. But um, we're going to find out if Jalen Carter proves to be the, the pre-draft talent people thought he was a couple months ago, then Ryan Poles made a mistake. And if Darnell writes all that and Jalen Carter is Jalen Carter from his college days, maybe you still feel good about it. But No, it's, it's, it's absolutely a great point by Potsy there. Um, fair or not, Jalen Carter versus Darnell Wright will go on for the entirety of Darnell Wright's career. You know, and that's that's kind of, that's uh, I mean, it may work out fine for the Bears, but yep. it is unfortunate he's going to have to play in some ways in Jalen Carter's shadow unless he can absolutely live up to the possibility of what Lewis Riddick said on Waddle and Sylvie when he said Darnell Wright could be the best player in this draft. So that's some high praise from the man who was on the draft coverage for ESPN. So cross your fingers and hope that that actually does play out the way Lewis Riddick stated. But uh, you mentioned Potsy, you know, kind of drilling down on Jalen Carter. I believe he was one of the people asking about Jalen Carter to Ryan Poles on Thursday night. Uh, he, Poles was asked, hey, so did you guys take Jalen Carter off of your draft board? What happened? Yeah, that's, you know, I, I knew that question would come up. I think what I'd rather do with that is just stick with talking about Darnell. We felt comfortable that that was the guy that we wanted. Um, you know, even though Philly, you know, 
we did the swap with Philly. Um, we felt really good about that. So he ducks it, but then that led to the follow-up, which then I believe was Mark Potash asking the question, hey, did character matter with Jalen Carter? Yeah, I won't comment, like I said, specifically on him, but uh, character is always going to be important for us. So read between the lines there. I think that's saying it without saying it, that character, their evaluation of Jalen Carter scared them enough. And it's the only way you can read this, right? I think they had every opportunity to select Jalen Carter. They were not going to do it. Um, It wasn't because it wasn't that the Eagles made such an overwhelming offer. Because if you look at all the draft trade, trade charts, the Bears didn't get full value for moving down one pick in the first round from nine to ten. You know, so the 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 Eagles threw them a bone, but the reality was most draft cha- trade charts would have asked for a fourth round rounder this year or a third rounder next year from the Eagles. The Eagles actually gave up a fourth rounder next year, so the the Bears did not get full value to move down from that spot. Um, now they still got they clearly got the guy that they identified as the one they wanted, somebody who can help Justin Fields potentially stay up right now for much of the games but it is undeniable that Jalen Carter will always be the guy who Bears fans are going to be watching on Sunday and I'll say this I, again I think this could work out very well for the Bears Donnell Wright might be a pro bowl all pro level talent however if Jalen Carter lives up to what his athletic potential is he could be a game wrecker and he will be one of those guys at that position, that three-technique position, which is, which is so important yep. in Matt Eberflus's defense. He will be a guy who we are always watching, and it's unfair because, as you pointed out, everything in Philadelphia sets up nicely for Jalen Carter to succeed and excel. But it does it, it bummed me out a little bit that the Bears, and again, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to criticize them because they went through the rigorous scouting, you know plan of figuring out what type of person they had the interviews they have kevin warren in the building to help usher and shepherd them through a potential you know player who could be somebody who has off the field issues and clearly as they were it was united right they did not think he was worth the hassle at least where they're at currently but i would not be stunned at all if jalen carter excels in philadelphia and it's unfortunate that the bears are at a spot where they have to, I think, pass on a premium-level talent because where they're at as a franchise, they can't support him. Yeah, and, and it's it's the signature position, is as you alluded to, to Eberflus's defense. But the hits principle, uh, he fails on a few of those letters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Carter does, at least to this point. And, and look, everything you heard from Darnell Wright, I mean, it's always a love fest, right? Of course. Yeah. You know, it loved the Bears. The Bears loved him, loved him at the Combine, loved uh, he didn't quit uh, when they went down and and worked him out at Tennessee and and he you know Darnell said I they they pushed me and pushed me and pushed me seeing if I was going to tap out I never tapped out because that's not the uh, the guy I am it all sounds wonderful and it, it's probably all very accurate. Paris Johnson went what sixth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the card. Uh, uh, we, yeah. we we talked about him a month or so ago. If if I'm and look, the Bears, you took a first, uh, a top 10 pick offensive lineman for the first time since 1983, Jimbo Covert, according to Mark Potash's column. I, I wish it was a left tackle. I mean, he's going to be hopefully a, <laughs> an all pro yes. right tackle. Yep. My question is, and you'll never get this answer outside of Hallis Hall, outside the, the, the draft room. If Paris Johnson's sitting there, 
uh, and, and had not been selected and you could move down and feel like good, would you have taken him instead of Darnell Wright? I think I would have, but I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I'm the Bears didn't have that option because he went higher than I think most people predicted he would. So mm-hmm. you'll never know. But Darnell Wright, all that said, I mean, 6'5", 333 pounds, uh, a guy who had success in Tennessee. Everything sounds great about him, and I think he's going to be a, a wonderful asset in addition to the Bears. But between Jalen Carter and maybe even Paris Johnson, I, I mean, I, I one, one you didn't want to take and one you didn't have an opportunity to take. And so the guy you did take sounds great, and we'll find out. That's the voice of Brian Hanley. I'm Jeff Meller, 312-332-3776. We'll take your calls coming up next, reacting to the Bears draft now that it's finally complete. And it's not just Jalen Carter who Darnell Wright's always going to be compared to. There's another man who he's always going to be compared to as well. I'll share that with you in two short minutes here on ESPN 1000.